Hello and welcome to another episode of the Cosmic Cafe, the companion interview podcast for thecosmiccircus.com. I'm Isla Ruby and today we have a special musically inclined guest. Stefan Smith composed the score for Batman, The Doom That Came to Gotham, and also the latest PBS Super Y, Super Y's Comic Book Adventures. This was a fun conversation and I hope you enjoy. Well, thank you for doing this. I'm really excited to talk. Yeah, no, no problem. I'm excited as well. Okay, so I guess I'll I'll just jump in to this. <laughs> um, so let, let's talk about Super Y. Um, so like we are very familiar with this in my house because I have a, a young daughter. So this is like perfect. Oh, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, how did you like? How did you get onto this project? Can you talk about that? Um, it's actually pretty funny. So there, there was a lady that I knew through a connection that paired me up with Nine Story. She was friends with uh, one of the producers there, and they actually sent the prompt over. And I'm, I'm more of a fan of like action movies and things like that. And so that's kind of like what I like to score. Um, and so she's like, it's a children's series for PBS kids. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I can do Barney and Friends, like, you know. <laughs> But it looked like a cool project. And once I talked to them and just their, um, you know, musical approach of what they wanted to do, like 70s cop show funk mixed in with all different types of elements and musical styles. So I was like, one, this will be a great way for me to hone my craft for songwriting, but also with all different types of styles. So um, it kind of I submitted a demo where I sang and I worked with my friend on it as well. And um and I just sent it off and I was like, you know what, let's see what happens. And then we got a call back. Uh, my agent got a call back saying that they want to hire me to, to write for the show. And I was really excited about it. So initially I was kind of skeptical, but just because, um, you know, I'd never done children's music before, mm -hmm. um, but I ended up loving it. It was a lot of fun. And it, it's so different too, because like the PBS things, like especially with Superwise, like very like literacy geared, right? So like mm -hmm. I know with I've read about Sesame Street and Sesame Street like has really specific things that they try to include and how they um, present the material. Was that, um, was there anything similar like that for Super Y? Cause it's very like you're teaching kids to read and helping kids to read. Yes. It's very uh, curriculum based. Mm -hmm. So uh, the songs that were written out, you know, we had to basically go through the script. It was written in the script and I had to take um lyrics from that and then create the songs oh. and even tweak those things as well so and there is a lot of back and forth uh between pbs kids nine story media and brownback um to decide like does this work is the tempo too fast for the words because the kids have to understand this so there was like a constant feedback loop uh that we had to go through in order to get things just right. So yes, very it's very involved when it comes to that part because you want to make sure kids are retaining the information, that it's hooky and groovy, that they can dance to it, but also learn from it. Uh, so yeah, it's completely different from anything else I've done, you know? It, so the songs, what I, what I really like about Super Y and um, yeah, all the PBS stuff in general, like it's, it's like an earworm, right? For kids and parents, it, it just gets stuck in your head. And I think that's so amazing for um just like helping helping them learn good for Did... the kids bad for the parents <laughs> <laughs> that that's true but you know it works yeah. out. I, I can hear the song in my head over and over but that's good yeah. <laughs> um so 
did you like, okay, so how do you create an earworm? That's kind of like a hard question, maybe, but like what, what goes into that? Cause that's not, it doesn't uh, just happen. Yeah. I think, I think creating earworms, you have to have a really catchy, like rhythmic element, you know, something that really gets your body moving. And I think the use of syncopation in general mm -hmm. gets the tricks, the ear enough to want to know what's coming next. So when you don't have something that's just one, two, three, four, but it's one, two, the, 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 immediately your ear is like, oh, what's going on over here? So I think it's using a combination of rhythm, but also somewhat simple uh, motives or a simple melody on top of something interesting rhythmically. Um, and obviously harmony plays into it as well, because that kind of shapes the feeling of the song. So I think... I think making something simple but catchy is the key, which is the hardest thing to do because people do this every day <laughs> and it's so hard not to copy someone else. So trying to create something that's simple, hooky and, you know, and an earworm, um, especially for children, is a challenge, um, now, you know. So you mentioned earlier that there was like a 70s um, like cop show uh like vibe for this can you talk about can you talk more about that can you talk about like influences for this um and and yeah, any of sure. that? i mean i think we were very influenced by um you know like schoolhouse rock mm -hmm. that type of vibe and so uh the director jerry he i love him he's like the canadian jack black so it was like <laughs> it was like this you know collaboration of like let's try this and maybe we should try this here and let's do a little jazzy hit here or like so it just became like this laboratory of finding the sound and um and and jerry really steered true to that because he has huge ties to anime so mm -hmm. there was elements of that in some of the transition scenes when they use their powers um very like anime driven art style in general and so um i hope that answered your question no it totally it, to it totally did no that's awesome um okay mm -hmm. so you mentioned the director how you know and i don't know if this was true for him but how do you um like collaborate when the person doesn't necessarily speak music because it's like this very specific you know world that if you're like a creative director maybe you don't you know know that you're like creative in other ways yeah when i was younger i used to be so bad uh with this uh, particular situation because i come from a very dominant classical music background mm -hmm. so when i'm speaking music it's like a second language to me and i like sometimes assume people know it so i think the thing that i learned the most is speaking in adjectives you know, hmm. like people always kind of um, understand that a little more than being like, maybe we should try this instrument or this instrument, you know, because then you run into cases where they're like, let's try the tuba there, but they really meant a cello or something. Oh. So it's like, you know, they may not know like the, the, I mean, that's kind of absurd, but they may <laughs> not know the, the full knowledge of the orchestra and the palette. So it's better to speak in adjectives to be able to decide what's the mood, how do we want to feel? Um, and then from there, I can kind of figure out a collection of instruments um, or orchestration to kind of hone in on that feeling. And mm -hmm. then we kind of tweak it as we go. Now, so for this, what was recording this this like did you were like were there sample tracks I think I, I read that or heard that with Batman or was it like you know in the studio 
recording? What, what yeah, so a part of it was recorded in a studio. Um, and then the majority of the music production was done by myself at my computer. So oh boy. a lot, I think the entire score and the, and the show was all, um, you know, sample orchestration. So, oh. but I do a lot of programming and mm -hmm. I think my experience being, um, you know, a session musician on the stages, like I'm just around that sound a lot. So it's kind of easy for me to be able to tweak virtual instruments to make them sound even more realistic. Not that I want to, <laughs> but sometimes, sometimes you have to, to meet the goal, you know, like, of course you want to hire this big group and stuff, but you know, money comes into play. Um, and so we, the vocals were all recorded in Canada. Oh. Um, and the actors actually recorded them. So they weren't like trained singers. Um, and that was a stylistic choice too. We wanted to make sure that it felt like kids were singing and, mm -hmm. you know, so there are little pitch issues here or there, but that's kind of the characteristic of kids, you know, when they're yeah. singing. And so, um, but yeah, we recorded all the vocals ahead of time. Uh, and then we did sampled references of the songs. And from there, those were sent to the animators Okay. Um, and then they lock that to picture and then from there sent the final edit of the C uh, of each episode. And then I scored each episode as well um, as writing the songs and for each episode. So it was a very lengthy process. But yeah. It ended up being awesome. <laughs> okay. So let, let's talk about for like an individual episode and maybe the whole thing in general. So from, you know, from idea to actually having you know, an episode complete because it's, you know, there's no magic wand and it's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. How, how long does that take? What is, um, what is the process like? Well, the first part with this company um, or these companies, the first part of the process was like I said, of like developing the songs, tweaking mm -hmm. everything, recording that, and then getting that locked. Um, and that was probably done over the course of, oh man, I can't even, I don't even remember, maybe a few months or so, oh. but it it was a turning around like five episode batches uh, oh. every, what, every two weeks or something, or maybe wow. a week, or I can't remember what the, it was fast. You had to write a lot of music in a short amount of time. So, you know, that's creating, you know, going from the lyrics, tweaking the lyrics to make sure they work musically and then writing the melodies. And then from there, you know, writing the music surrounding the melodies <laughs> and then, you know, recording vocals, et cetera. Um, it's not a lot of time to be able to do that. So, and I don't have like, you know, this team of 25 ghostwriters working with me. <laughs> like, you know, it's a small, it's a small team, but a very robust small team, you know, yeah. so uh, we were we were able to handle those turnarounds um well you know what um was there anything really challenging or really um like satisfying that you were able to just to kind of bring to life with this i think um the challenging aspect is working within parameters you know like mm -hmm. I, I know in scoring we we have to work within parameters of syncing duration you know hit points things like that but like when you have those already attached and then other things on top, like you got to make sure that the, you know, every word is heard and enunciated and like you have to make sure that it's catchy and simple and, you know, and that the rhythm isn't too complex for the children to sing. Like these are things that you don't really run into unless you're working on a production like this. Um, 
So I think those challenges were the rewarding aspects of like figuring out how to make things work with such strict guidelines. Gotcha. Um, I think that's going to help me further on in my, uh, you know, in my process of scoring. Oh, absolutely. Um, so, you know, you've done a lot of animation work, but you've also done some live action stuff earlier, um, I guess, in your career. Can you talk about like differences between um, scoring for animation versus scoring for live action? Um, I think animation relies heavily on, on the music much more so than live action because there's so much more you can do and take risks with animation, especially in action sequences and things like that. And so, and there's also this like stylistic consideration of what we call like Mickey Mousing, where, you know, you're hitting every action on the screen and doing things like this. When you do that in live action, sometimes it can just be like overkill. But in animation, it really works, you know. Um, So I feel like there are uh, like different things you have to take into account. Um, Letting the live action actors drive the scene more than taking over with music. Sometimes animation, that's its job to really like blanket it and elevate it even more. Not to say that's not the job in live action, but usually people, I don't know, I feel like people are more drawn to the human characteristic of uh, like a person in front of me on screen talking versus an animated character. Um, yeah. That's not to poo poo on animation, but it's just how people connect normally. So we need more elements to bring people in and an animation that includes more sound design and effects and, um, you know, and, and music, et cetera. Oh, that, I think that, I think that's totally true. You need to um, more to be like, Immersive. Um, yeah. So, you know, obviously you, you mentioned parameters with PBS. You had a bunch of things that you kind of had to hit on with this. Um, how is it different working on something like that versus working on Batman where, you you know, you have this huge IP um, history and like musical expectations with certain like Batman notes? Or, I'm not, I don't speak yeah. music very well. So it's all uh, good. <laughs> <laughs> um. Batman is like, you know, an intimidating IP. It's been mm-hmm. around for a long time. There's a huge fan base, both like cult and mainstream. And so people definitely have expectations when they see a Batman film. This uh, Batman, The Doom That Came to Gotham, very different animated film. And most oh, yeah. fans will definitely agree with that because it's this dark suspense horror kind of fantasy film. And mm-hmm. a lot of people in Lovecraftian, which you don't really see a lot. So um, my my goal was to try to create something familiar with the harmonic language, you know, that big orchestration, dark sound, really low lows and high highs and like soaring horns and all that, but trying to make it also its own kind of fingerprint, you know, because it is its own film. So um, I tried to steer clear of, you know, our our traditional Batman themes because I wanted something different. So uh, that was the biggest thing and the challenge, you know, I I feel like I was constantly in my head about it because in the beginning of it, because I'm like, ah, like Hans's score is amazing. And James Newton Howard and Danny Elfman, Shirley Walker and all these people that like created these sound worlds that still live on and on and on and on. And I'm like, how do I compete to that? And so instead of just seeing it as like a competition thing, I just 
put together like a playlist of all their scores and just immersed myself into it. So mm -hmm. by the time it was time to write, it was like I had that um, backbone of Batman sound. And then I was able to expound from that, you know, or expand from that. So, um, so yeah, it, it was very, very, very challenging. And not to mention the timeline and the, you know, delivery schedule. Um, we didn't have time to record the orchestra um, mm -hmm. uh, just in this performance schedule. So besides writing an hour and 27 minutes of music, I had to program an hour and 27 music on, oh, wow. on top of that and mix and master you know so um <laughs> well it, it turned it was, out great well thank you thank you <laughs> but i mean most people i talk to they're like wow like where did you record the score i'm like my studio you know <laughs> like my computer and they're like what um it it took a, a long time to yep. get all of that, that right and from my background the last thing i wanted to do was put something out that sounded like a nintendo yeah so um so yeah so I think rising to the expectations of the fan base is the hardest challenge when it comes to a big IP, but you also have to accept that not everyone's going to love it. Um, and you have to accept that people will love it too. So <laughs> I'm just happy to be a part of it. It, you know, for me, you know, fairly new to the studio scene as a composer, um, it was an excellent way for me to be able to somewhat flex my muscles in a realm that, you know, a lot of people don't get the opportunity to mm -hmm. write for. So I'm I'm just blessed to be able to be part of the franchise. Oh, that's that's wonderful. Um, yeah. you know, I know we're getting pretty close on time. Can you talk about what you're working on now? Are you allowed to share that or is that um, I can share a few things. There uh there I do a lot of concert music as well mm -hmm. um for chamber ensembles and also orchestras so uh the past year I guess the past two years there was a commission I did for the Colburn School of Music called My Young Friend okay um it was written for Andrew Brady who's the principal bassoonist of St. Paul Chamber Orchestra now um he was the principal of Atlanta Symphony but I wrote that piece for bassoon and piano which later after him winning the job at St. Paul um, he had introduced them to the piece. And so in March, I'll be flying out there uh, oh. for the premiere of St. Paul Chamber Orchestra and Andrew soloing on my young friend. Um, so I'm really excited about that because St. Paul is one of the top chamber orchestras in the world. And just to be asked to write something for them is incredible. Um, and then also a piece that I wrote called Quintet in the Key of Blue uh, that was commissioned by the Dubé Ensemble and their artistic director is Joseph Conyers, who's the principal base of the Philadelphia Orchestra. So I'm from Philly, so that makes tour. me happy. Oh, cool. <laughs> awesome. You know how amazing that orchestra is. The, yes. The, uh, <laughs> the string sound. Uh, but yeah, he hit me up and was like, hey, we want you to write a piece for our ensemble. So they premiered that um, last year, but also are going to go on tour this year um, at the Harris Theater in Chicago and other places around uh, performing that piece. There's something else that's really exciting that okay. I cannot talk about <laughs> yet because it hasn't been announced. But ah. if you want to know, when it, anyone who wants to know, just <laughs> you know, check out my socials because when I post that, it's going to be pretty awesome. And there's a few other projects that are in the works that negotiation phase. So mm -hmm. I will keep everyone posted. Oh, that's exciting. And I'll keep checking. What are your socials so we can... 
Sure. Um, most of them, um, IG, Twitter, and I think, uh, what's the other one? YouTube. Yeah. Uh, all of those um, is at Viola Nation, V-I-O-L-A-N-A-T-I-O-N. Uh, so dorky. I'm a violist, but I represent. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you type in Viola Nation, in Google, you'll find it. You'll probably, yeah, you'll find everything. So that's um, awesome. And Spotify, Spotify. My name is Stefan L. Smith on there and all the other streaming platforms. So if you want to hear my music, check that out as well. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. And thanks for taking the time to talk. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can find the companion article for this podcast, along with all the other news for those who like superheroes, science fiction, and fantasy films, TV shows, and other media at thecosmiccircus.com. Have a great day.